We can hit it. Um, now we can hit it, Fergie. Hit it, Fergie. All right. I wait. I can't hear Andrew. Hello. Oh, okay, I can hear Andrew. He just wasn't talking. <laughs> Andrew, you're supposed to be talking at all times. Ah, but you supposed to go out. Oh, that's what I wanted. <laughs> you did it. Good job. Talking at all times challenge level impossible. Welcome back, everybody. It's another week of art farts. Yeah. Happy Cranberry November. Get your cranberries ready. I'm Courtney. I'm Leanne. I'm Andrew. (laughs) And if you're new or if you forget or if you're confused by the last episode you listened to, this is a little podcast. If you forget, you can't forget. But if it's one of the other two options I gave... This is a little podcast that we like to do about art history, but it's not your normal art history podcast because we're not educated in the way that we should be. Because we're not normal. We're not normal. Um, we're simply just just people, human beings, who don't have any necessarily degree in art history t- to certain extents. Um, talking about art history, learning about art history, and trying to regurgitate it for the the popular masses in a way that's digestible and fun and easygoing. So it's kind of like drunk history, but um, we're not drunk, and it's art history. <laughs> Wait, did you minor in art history? I did, but I don't think you get... <laughs> I don't think you get a degree for your minor. You said to certain extents. I was like, what did that mean? I was like, oh, wait. I'm like, it doesn't, I don't think a minor counts for much, but I do have a minor in art history. And I am, I am a minor in art history. Not age-wise, but like. Explain that one to me. (laughs) Well, she's. I well, you're not in person, but she does have a helmet and a pickaxe. I'm a minor and I'm digging through this, this information. Um. I'm very excited for today's episode. I'm excited because you're excited. I'm pretty excited. I'm trying to really muster up the strength and courage to to do it justice. You are so brave to be here today in this space. Thank you, guys. I'm a little tired, so really, you're going to have to pack a punch. I And you better wake up. You better fucking wake up right now. You better wake the fuck up. Because, Andrew, I need you here right now. You're going to... I think you're going to really enjoy this, and I want you to say something at some point, so... Okay. Okay. My energy is I can't stop screaming right now, I and I split the top of my lip somehow, and I can't breathe through my nose. The breathing through the nose thing is old hap. I know. I can't remember the last time I've been able to. Your screams have been reverberating through my chest all night. I'm so sorry. No, it's not. It's not something you What's can help. What's going on? I we got I got home and for some reason I just like can't stop screaming. Like I'm talking to Gibby, but I am screaming, and I have like. 
that like anxiety where you feel it in your chest and Leanne's voice has been like shaking my lungs. But it's not a it's not like in a negative it way. It can be in a negative way. I am accepting feedback. But it's not it's more so it's like It's not good. It's more so like oh that's happening. Like I'm I'm glad I know that the <laughs> Oh. <laughs> that might be worse. It's it's more so I'm glad to know that there's a source and it's not like uh extraneous noise. Like when it yeah. happens I'm like oh that makes sense that my my lungs are shaking. I can feel Leah. It sounds like Leanne's in the room right now with My me. My lungs are shaking. <laughs> I got home and I was just so excited. And I was so, I was having a very overstimulated day. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's one of those days where it's like, you can't help but have roommates. And that's okay because every other day it's wonderful. So it's worth it for every, every inch of noise that could potentially happen. Also, I've always had roommates because siblings. So mm-hmm. that's life. And I've always been the loudest one. <laughs> and I wouldn't have it any other way. Thank you. I really, <laughs> she I, speaks up for those who can't. <laughs> I can't be different. So that's really good. It makes her perfect for a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Evan has to cap you like Adele. <laughs> Stop. Cap your ass. I need to be put down. And I've already, that's the third time I've said that in the past mm, hour. Fun fact, Adele's voice is so powerful and loud. They have to put it like a, a, limit on it because she like be too powerful i think that's where they go wrong i uh, totally let it agree. break my phone i absolutely What's it gonna agree do? yeah i absolutely agree with you um that's what the, the society is doing to you leanne that's and that's genuinely what everybody is doing to me you can't scream at outside of the house so you you're being capped you up. can't and we'll be in the grocery store and i'll look at you and i'm like i want to scream <laughs> Andrew loves when Leanne turns off in a grocery store. When you're not looking at me in the grocery store, I'm standing still. I have, what is it, the thousand-yard stare? I'm looking at nothing. It's like um, like booze and Mario if you're not looking. Well, no, never mind, because they approach you when you're not look- looking. And I'll do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect time. That's scary. Um... Anyways, that was our little life chat. <laughs> and I have one more thing to say before we go into this. Yes. Have you seen that woman on TikTok who's mining in her basement? No. There is a woman mining. mining? Did, did I hear in that her right? No, mining. she's mining. She has a pickaxe. That's like that movie with Ethan Hawke. Bef- oh, uh, Love before Sunset. Sunrise. What's it called? Oh, wait, why? <laughs> I did not in any lifespan think you guys were saying the same thing. I was really trying hard to say what Andrew said. I'm not even like positive it is Ethan Love Sunset. Love Sunset. What's that movie called? Me When I Love a Sunset. Well, there's Before Sunrise and Before Sunset and Before Midnight. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. Any of those. I'm searching. I'm pretty sure it is Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, and it's a scary movie where he sees dead people. You guys know Uh, what I'm talking about? Sinister? No, and it's not Sinister. Imagine that. The The Black Phone. Not The Black Phone, would you say? Sixth Sense. Not Sixth Sense. (laughs) I'm searching so Um. hard. Oh, but yeah, so she's mining in her basement for, like, stone for building. But it's crazy. I saw someone talking about it, and I'm like, what, is she just digging into the floor? I scroll over to her page. No. She's got a helmet on. It looks like she's in a full-blown cave. I don't know how you got there from your house. I forgot the building is a noun, and I was like, who's building? She's, she's, who's building? (laughs) She's doing this for building, and I was like. For to build. 
Billiam Ding. It- <laughs> Dead Poets Society. Oh. No, not Dead Poets Society. I'm looking. I'm going and I'm looking. Like, the Northman. What the hell is Billiam? Boyhood. Crap, God damn it. <laughs> what are you doing? Is it not Ethan Hawke? Oh, hold he's, on. He's the trying purge. to help. No, not The Purge. It might not be Ethan Hawke, and that's going to be really my bad and my embarrassing. Scary movie. If I Well, I can't just type in scary movie seeing dead people. No, but you know what I can do? I can do <laughs> um, seeing dead people digging in basement. We're genuinely getting swatted during this episode. <laughs> Me <on my> work computer. <laughs> oh, I found it. Stir of Echoes. Not you on the ThinkPad. Stir of Echoes. Stir of Echoes? That might not be Ethan Hawke, and that will be my bad if it is. Not. It doesn't have to be your bad. It could. It probably that's, should be. That's we Kevin don't have Bacon. to take responsibility. It's fucking Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Kevin. So that actually will move forward with being your bad. <laughs> it was Kevin Bacon all along. Damn. Well. Uh, so as soon as I saw the cover, I was like, oh my god, it's Kevin Bacon. That, like, that kind of, like... They kind of looked similar back in the day, right, guys? Yeah, I see it. I'm going to need to pull up some images quick. Um, oh, no, I can see that. I'm only looking at old pictures of him. I that mean, movie, pictures of old him. That <laughs> movie was pretty bad, but at the end he goes crazy and he just digs a hole through his entire house and basement. Okay, me. Just for days, he's just digging. Spoiler alert! <laughs> You're going to wake up tomorrow and the hallway is going to be gone. <laughs> Are you digging? Oh, yeah, because I've dug it up. <laughs> There's a basement underneath us. <gasps> oh, my God. You have to go deeper. We have no, to go and then deeper. you look into the basement and it's just an open pit. That would be fun. I love open, an open, open pit. pit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what'd you say? Oh, I love, I an, love open an open pit. You love an open pit concept? Yeah. Oh, my house, it's an open pit concept. You open the door and it's just, you oh. fall. It's just, oh. That's literally how my house is working Minecraft. <laughs> I really do. I dig straight down. They say not to, but come on. But I'm digging straight down and I'm looking but up and I'm on. digging straight up. I love, I love being like, oh, here, open this door. Where does it go? You're going to be walking for minutes. You're going to. <laughs> oh, you're like, follow me. And it's your, your tunnel that goes on for 10 real life minutes. <laughs> yeah. Real life. Imagine what that is in Minecraft time. Oh, I wish they had a clock. I do wish they had clock. The sun's setting and I'm like, well, it's what? all over for me. They have clocks in Minecraft. You're lying. They do. I, do no, they really? No. Yeah. They do. Yes. I thought you were saying it as a kind of a joke. No, but I, I re- need to know what time it is during Minecraft. Yeah, you can make a clock. We'll offline about this. Oh, I have to make it? Like a map. Mm. I think you can make a clock. You don't have to do much, though. Also, if you play creative, you could just probably get a clock. True, but I'm never playing creative. Minecraft clock recipe. <laughs> um, anyways. Yeah, let's... I'm trying to think of what... Oh, so sometimes at the starts of episodes, um, we have a bit or a bob where we do, you know, some reoccurring bit, some reoccurring bob, one-off bob, whatever. I don't have anything at the start, but I might have a little gift for us at the end today, so you better stay tuned through this whole episode if you want potentially a bit or a bob. No spoilers, but there might be a bit or bob at the end of this. They call me one-off bob. (laughs) That is my middle name. Courtney, one off Bob. First name one, middle name off, last name Bob. The tomato. Ugh. Bob the one off tomato. <laughs> um, so the way that this works is every week one of us takes on 
a different topic to present on. The other two don't know what the topic is. So it's really a learning experience for everybody. And this week it is my week. Wow. So I have something to say. I've yeah. got, got something to talk about. I'm pretty excited. Give them something to talk about. I'm going to fart myself in, and if we're all ready, I can, I can go whenever. I'm ready. I'm excited. Okay, I'm going to fart us in. There oh, it is. Oh, herd chef. Herd, the fart heard around the world. <laughs> the fart heard around the world. No, the fart heard around the world. Okay, everybody. <laughs> I'm very excited for today's topic because essentially it was not something I was certain I could do a topic on. You know, I feel like we've all had those episodes where like this on paper could be really fun, but realistically trying to find information about it could be impossible. You're like, some things you're like, why is this not on the internet? I really thought there'd be more. Yeah. And that makes, I feel like that's pretty common with researching art. It's like, to me, this is art, but to everyone else, no one's talking about this kind of thing. Ooh. Yes. So it it does fall in that lines. Um, After Andrew's Minecraft episode last week, I really was thinking anything is possible. You could really, you could talk. (laughs) I don't want, Leanne looks excited. I don't want her to get too excited, but. Oh, I'm scared. Um, I recently started attending this book club monthly and I'm having a really great time. And yesterday when we met, someone said, we were talking about rating books. Everyone was saying, what's a five-star book you've rated? And someone said, is there a Goodreads for book covers? Because I would give this book cover a f- five stars, talking about the book we just read. And I heavily relate to that because I'm always saying, like, I wish there was letterbox for this thing, this hyper-specific thing, like, um, which I have come to the realization might just be what people use Reddit for. <laughs> is that exactly? Um but anyways, I immediately thought of you guys, and I thought of Art Farts, and I wondered, does it have legs? And guys, it does. It has legs. So I'm going to be talking about art history in relation to book covers today. I'm very excited because I've done an episode on art history in relation to album covers, which I thought was very fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. Um but this is like fun and exciting. You know, I didn't know I was gonna unearth things. You know what I mean? So um, I'm unearthing a lot today. I'm very excited to share with everyone. Let's get into it. Ooh. So at first, this topic was proving to be a little bit difficult. Like it, yeah. it was at first. Like no, this isn't gonna happen because one, book covers are not always guaranteed. It's not like every book has a book cover. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking of the classics, it's just bound by, you know, the cover and then the titles printed on the front. It cost a lot of money back then to make a a cover. And also, book covers can change very quickly with different editions, preferences, like you can get customized. Um, I always see that beautiful normal people cover of, like, the canned fish. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Which is, like, not the normal edition. Mm -mm. The Hobbit has, like, the normal people. (laughs) The Hobbit has, like, so many different renditions of the cover. You got cover. me a beautiful Hobbit. Yes. I, that's, like, I think OG is the... Actually, I think it's not OG, but it's, like, the one... I don't know. Well, maybe I'll have to talk about it at some we'll point. We'll have to go figure that out. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to find it. And then another common issue is that sometimes authors use a piece of famous art as the book cover. Actually, that's done a lot, Um, which is not what I was wanting for this episode. I wasn't, like, wanting, oh, here's this famous piece of art that was also used on a book cover because I don't think that's, like, as long-lasting, if that makes sense. Like, there's this 
famous mystery book called The Girl with the Pearl Earring. Mm. And it's not about that painting. All right, I don't think it's much about that painting, but of course the painting is the book cover. And I'm like, no, that's too on the nose. That's not what I'm trying to do today. Um, so I had to go through a different route in order to do this episode. First, I had to identify what are famous recognizable movie I mean, book covers, and then try to, from there, deep dive into how they were made. So, that's what we're going to be doing today. Hmm. Also, I wanted to clarify that when I say the word book covers, I've learned that I am consistently incorrect, and I'm going to continue using it because that's what I prefer. But when I'm talking about these book covers, I really mean dust jackets, which is that paper outside of the hardcover books that protect the front, back, and spine. But what about a soft... Book. So I love that you've asked this question. <laughs> so what happened is the books that I'm going to be talking about are are old now, and um, therefore they were originally done in hardcover, as most books are really done usually first done in hardcover. And so the cover, the original cover, is usually a dust cover, and then if it gets famous enough and they make paper covers, sometimes they'll print the the illustration onto the paperback. So these were originally dust covers, and... Just because of how famous they are, they did get moved into the paperback company. Mm-hmm. Or not company, but paperback editions. Yeah. Um, but we'll get more into that, actually. So hold your horses. When I was brainstorming, I realized I think I have to start with, in my opinion, maybe the most recognizable book cover of all time. There was only one that was like originally coming to mind, and it's not the Bible, <laughs> um, which that has a lot of different covers. Um, Thank dis- God. Despite it does have a lot of additions with with different renditions and different covers. When I was thinking of famous books with famous covers, there was really only one picture I saw when I thought of this book and when I thought of famous books. So, one, I want to see if anyone can guess it. Just off the bat, I don't want anyone to use their phones right now, even when I do tell you what the book is. Does anyone know what, like, to you, what book comes to mind when you think of Famous book cover. Literally nothing. I'm only pulling up A Little Life. Okay. Because oh, we that, saw it in that episode of Girls. That's a that's a good one. I didn't even think about using that. I might need to make this a series. That's a really good one. Because I, oh, I, that cover is, I, I, I guess I would say iconic, but I feel like in our lives at least, I don't know if anybody oh, else also. That's a very, it's a, that's a famous photograph. I have like looked into that too because I thought it was... You importance. pausing girls, you're like, is Ray reading a little life? <laughs> and right he was now? in the big print That's edition. Fucked of him. Which is crazy. He had so to like funny. double palm it. Like, <laughs> so, like, it was like a manuscript, like craziness. Anyways, <laughs> when I say this, I think things will ring a bell. So, yeah. again, no phones because I want this to be pure, just childhood memory right now. Oh. Maybe not like that. Oh. <laughs> what do you see when I say J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye? Shut up. No, shut up. I was literally... <laughs> okay, I didn't... Oh, there's Gritty, like a horse, I also right? was thinking of Catcher in the Rye. It's yellow and there's red. Am I wrong? No, you're right. Andrew okay. mentioned the animal. <laughs> Andrew, I heard you Girl? say... Oh, you want me to say it again? There's yeah, a you horse. can say it again. Yeah, I was yeah. screaming. Yeah, there's a horse. You see red and yellow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you both, like... Yeah, that's so funny, because I was picturing it. Yeah. Aww. That's like... But isn't that weird? Like, when's the last time you read Catcher in the Rye? 
very long ago. I was actually just thinking the other day. I was like, maybe I want to reread Catcher in the Rye. It's been a while. I, I read it in the eighth I have grade. A copy. I don't have a copy of it, but yeah. So the fact that you both remembered it. I read it in high school. I read it in eighth grade. Like the fact that it's still memorable. The cover is yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, so we're gonna talk about that right now. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that. I was like, well, that's not like an art piece, but yeah, you know what? And everything is. Everything's art. And everything and is. And wait till you hear about it. Shit. Okay, so I wanted to include some brief background about J.D. Salinger himself, since he is the author. And I also, I feel like I've been meaning to just read up on him, because, you know, what's the first thing that comes into mind when you hear J.D. Salinger? Besides catching the Rye. Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, well, you really stumped me there. Yeah, Catcher in the Rye. Well, he's... <laughs> Uh oh. He's one of like the only famous recluses of oh, our yes, yes, of yes, our yes, 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 American yes. generation. Oh, I um, forgot that actually. Yeah, but I know I'm that. Supposed to know that? I thought that I'm everyone supposed. knew. They have Childish Gambino does a line about it in one of his songs. <laughs> I'm supposed to know that. <laughs> it's like the two recluses to me are him and Bonnie Vare. So that's and like Brown. <laughs> Like the spider, like a brown red. (laughs) The way Courtney looked at me, like there was, I've never seen a person with less thoughts. You just, Uh, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, God. he's wiped my brain with that. (laughs) Feel like I'm gonna be sick. I was so scared. Just silence. I realize now you mean like the spider. I was like Charlie Brown Recluse. I was like, who is that? Charlie um, Brown Recluse is a good mashup. It's Charlie Brown uh, or a spider just wearing Charlie Brown's shirt. And also it's like bald with squiggly lines oh my for hair. God. Charlie Brown Recluse Spider. Oh my gosh. What's that called again? A portmanteau. How could I forgot? How could I forgot? <laughs> How could I forgot? <laughs> I forgot. I can't. I can't. I need to. I'm going to make that the title of this episode. How could I forgot? Write that down. I know. I'm like. Do you want me to write it down? Yes, because mine says reconnecting. I have no service. So I can't. (laughs) My notes is going to say, How could I forgot? Okay. So. Wow. This was was great. Well, yeah. I don't know. To me, I just always was like, Oh, JD Salinger is a recluse. That's pretty fun and exciting. No one really talks about those mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> no i remember learning about that because it's i feel like that's important to yeah especially just with a book like catcher in the rye that checks out um and like, i love you're Bonnie gonna want to know this you're you're gonna need to know this so let's learn a little bit about jd himself i this is very fun i was very excited <laughs> <laughs> this is very fun Jerome David Salinger, that's right, his name is Jerome David Salinger, is lying to everyone with that JD. Wow. He was born in 1919, Manhattan, New York. He seemed to actually have a pretty ordinary life in terms of upbringing. His father was a kosher cheese trader and himself the son of a rabbi. And his mother, I didn't talk about what she did, so I'm not, I don't know, but she seemed very outwardly loving. Like, Mm. she had, like, nicknames for JD, and, like, she called him Sonny, I'm guessing because he was her son, maybe, but (laughs) real creative. He he had enough first names where it was like, you didn't have to do that. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, yeah, he seemed to have, like, a pretty happy childhood, um, 
JD went to school in Manhattan before he moved to Park Avenue, which is another um, area of New York City, in case you didn't know. And he started attending private school there. It seemed like he had a, like array of hobbies, very different hobbies, too. So he seemed very well-rounded. He did plays. He managed the fencing team at his school. And, of course, he wrote for his school newspaper. Cause oh, we're, of course. You know, that makes sense. Um, something I did find very interesting is that teachers across the board always referred to him as a very mediocre student, which was interesting of, like, you know, he's not... Imagine... A- being called a mediocre student. I know, so rude, but I guess it is like the 1920s, so they could have said worse. <laughs> um, oh my God. But it is interesting, like, I don't know, like, he wasn't doing bad, but he wasn't necessarily a star, but what was interesting is that when he got his IQ tested, he did have an above-average IQ. Um, not that IQ really does mean anything, like, it really is a dated test, and it's pretty... <laughs> like problematic but it is interesting how this like very mediocre student could be really actually so intelligent so maybe he just wasn't really trying i don't know how i feel like that makes sense that's like yeah i feel like that's how my dad always thinks he is (laughs) please (laughs) um jd loved acting a lot like he loved being in plays he continued being in plays into his teenage years but his father always urged him to never be an actor i don't know if it was like he thought it just wasn't worthy business like it would have probably made him a lot of money at that time like acting was really Mm -hmm. you know a coming of age area um but yeah he was like no never do that and then jd started attending college at new york university and he was studying special education after a year Good. later, he dropped out, oh. and his father sent him to Poland to work in the meatpacking industry because J.D.'s father believed meat import was going to be a real moneymaker within, like, the turn of the decade. What the hell? Which is funny. His, so his father, like, was a kosher cheese trader, and he was like, you know where the real money is? Meatpacking. I'm sending you to Poland. You'll get to see all the, the behind-the-scenes of meat import. We'll collab on a shark. Yeah, he was right. <laughs> and he was right. But... I just want to be clear on things. J.D. Salinger's dad sent his Jewish son to Poland in 1937. Oh. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. J.D. was actually disgusted by the slaughterhouses and totally rejected the career. I think he left... Well, I'll I'll let you know when he left. (laughs) What'd you look up? Me Googling what happened in Poland in 1937. Um, um, guys, <laughs> um, you're not gonna like you're this. You're not gonna want to be there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So his dad did that, <laughs> but he was really disgusted by the slaughterhouses, and he became vegetarian, which is very interesting. In the like 1930s, to be so dis- and like that makes sense too, because think about what was all happening in the slaughterhouses in the 1930s. Oh, uh, what's that book called? The, um, oh my god, I can't think of it. And right? I was gonna write it down. Andrew? That's so crazy. Andrew, what's the book about meat called? What book? From like the, the 1930s. About meat? That book about meat. You, uh, the, no uh, clue. The they talk about how <laughs> the sausage is made. Hold on. Oh my gosh, this is gonna keep me awake tonight. That book about I meat. Don't know. Hold on, I'm Googling book about meat. The Jungle. Oh my good lord. But yeah, exactly. It's like, so he became vegetarian, which checks out you know what get into it and then he left europe 
one month before Germany annexed Austria. Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Upon returning to the States, JD went back to college and attended your sinus college in Pennsylvania. Um, where he started writing a column for the newspaper called Skip Diploma. The, his column was called Skip Diploma, where he wrote movie reviews. <gasps> That's kind of hot. <laughs> I know, I so I need to get my little grimy little paws on one of them. Oh my gosh, your dirty little fingers. <laughs> um, <laughs> then he went. <laughs> oh, and she's touching me? <laughs> then he went back to New York and studied writing at Columbia under Whit Burnett who was the writer for Story Magazine, which was a very famous magazine at the time, also still a very famous magazine. Um, Witt said that Salinger was ultimately very quiet and, like, almost, like, unnoticeable. Like, didn't even realize this kid was in their class until the end of the semester where he came to life and he wrote three stories back-to-back that were so good that Witt published them in Story Magazine. He came to life. Mm-hmm. In college. That's published. so cute. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then a lot of other stuff happened with this guy that I, like, would love to keep talking about and go more in depth to, but I have too much to talk about, so I couldn't... Essentially, he had a very interesting This is role, not an author podcast. But he's an it artist. It could be. He's kind of an artist, if you think about it. He can go fuck himself. Oh! Ooh, he's dead, Queen. Andrew. Queen, he's dead. Queen, he's dead. Good. The queen is dead. Co- uh, <laughs> guys, guys, the queen died. <laughs> Fuck. A lot of other stuff happened with this guy. He played a very interesting role in World War II. Um, he, I don't want to get. Do? It, I don't want to get. It. No, no. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess I, the way I wore that can make it sound very bad. <laughs> but and honestly, it's not like the most amazing thing because he spoke Polish and German. From his time at the meatpacking industry, um, in the meatpacking factories, mm-hmm. they hired him as a interrogator for prisoners of war, and he worked as an interrogator. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think it had, like, really terrible, long-lasting trauma on him. Yeah. And then he went to Germany... After, and I didn't write this down, so this is really just me pulling it out of my brain. This is off dome. But he went to Germany after for when they did the denazization, where they were essentially like going around and like getting rid of all the Nazis that were still in Germany. Okay. So it wasn't like active war, but it was like the cleanup. Yeah. Which is also interesting. I can have a tickle in my throat. I did not like that. Evan, keep that in. Please don't. Evan, enhance that. <laughs> Evan, enhancing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. JD also had a bunch of failed relationships. They were, the drama was like so pungent. I wish I kept more information in, but let me just say this. He was in love with, with one girl in specific who there was like a very complicated romance and then she left him for Cherry, for Charlie Chaplin and married Charlie Chaplin. And I'm like, this crossover is really fun and exciting. Wow. Yeah. A lot of- Need his tell-all. Exactly. A lot of failed relationships. He worked on a Caribbean cruise in the midst of this. He got published some more, became a Buddhist, and then published Catcher in the Rye. I'm trying to do all of that in that order. It was, he's- 
could not imagine him being a recluse, if you think about it. He was like, guys, I gotta be honest, I'm tired. Yeah, prob- that's probably He's what like, happened. He's like, I'm worn. Um, okay, so the cover. You guys really, you hit the hammer. You hit the nail in the head. You hit the hammer <laughs> in my head. You hit the hammer in my head. You um, hammered the nail in the head. You did it. This cover is is red and yellow, or red and beige with some yellow writing. Yeah. Um. It says the catcher in the rye at the top in yellow, and there's kind of like a red starting at the top that kind of fades out into beige as you get da- down toward the bottom. And there is a drawing of a horse, kind of like a rough sketch of a horse mm-hmm. that's featured on the front of the book and also on the spine. The tail kind of reaches to the spine and even to the back cover a little bit. It's wrapped around the book. I keep hitting the microphone. Um, oh, and the top part of the horse actually covers part of the letters of the in the rye, Ooh. which I think is very interesting. Um, and it's not just any horse. It's a horse that's seemingly a carousel horse. It's got all like the decor like all the frill and it's the saddle all coming back to me and there's like a pole right, going a, through the middle yeah there's a part in the on a carousel right yes yes and i'll talk about that oh, for just sure. like a euphoria <laughs> exactly and in the back there is um a picture of a city really small and riding near the horse's feet mm-hmm. i'll show a little picture to leanne andrew i'm sure you can look up i'm so excited this book because i've been di- Oh, my gosh. Does it look just like how you remembered it? I couldn't pull up the exact image, so seeing that was really, really important for me. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk about the cover. This cover was created by E. Michael Mitchell, a Canadian-born artist in 1920. That's when he was born. He also was a very good friend of J.D. Salinger, and he lived down the road from him in Westport, Connecticut. (gasps) Now, apparently, J.D. was very adamant on never wanting covers for his books. He shared that he hated the idea that anyone had any preconceived knowledge about his story or a story in general, like totally against book covers in, in all realms. No spoilers. His original cover was entirely blank. Like, the whole book was blank. There was not there was no dust cover. It was just a blank book. It was like a dark blue, um, except for the name of the story in the spine, followed by his own name written in this, like, strange diagonal writing. I, I had a picture of it. I could put it on the Instagram. Yeah. Like, almost hard to read his name, which I thought was very fitting for him as well. Mm-hmm. However, he must have been very fond of Michael and his art because he, you know, chatted with him and was like, yeah, make my dust cover. Make my dust cover. Make my dust Gia cover. Giacometti, please make my dust cover. I think Leanne was mouthing, is he gay? Oh. But I'm excited, because let's, <gasps> we'll talk. Are I, they lovers? I, well, we'll just like. Please. I don't know. I don't, and I don't want to put that out there, because there was nothing that said that, but I'm just going to tell you their tale. <laughs> I just want to tell you their tale, and you can like make your own assumptions, or like don't, whatever you want. Um, his other works remained artless. Like, this is it. So he either really liked Michael's work, or he was just really fond of Michael himself. As we all know, J.D. Salinger is famously a recluse who is living in the woods of New Hampshire, but he liked Michael enough to ask him to be his best man at his wedding in Vermont. It was also discovered that J.D. would stay at Michael's guest house in Connecticut to write his manuscript, potentially allowing the Mitchells to hear the very early thoughts of his most long-lasting works. Michael Mitchells originally sought out to be a professional hockey player, but when his dreams did not come true, he became an illustrator. He illustrated for various magazines, books, and comics. He 
did a lot of work. Like, if you look up his name, there's a lot of really fun sketches and cartoons, but nothing to me as substantial as what he did for Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about the book a little bit and a little bit more about why the art's important. If you haven't read Catcher in the Rye yet, a.k.a. if you haven't entered eighth grade yet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> turn off the podcast. <laughs> yeah. if, you're, if you're not in eighth grade, get out. <laughs> this story follows the tale of Holden Caulfield, a 16-year-old who has just been expelled from his prep school. The story takes place over two days and acts as a sort of a mini coming of age slash rebellion to the stereotypical society tale. Holden is essentially very confused and searches for what truth is in the backdrop of a, in parentheses, phony adult world. He loves the word phony. Mm -hmm. Phony. All coming back to me. In terms of ideologies of the story, it's mainly about growing up, losing or like protecting your innocence for as long as possible, and isolation, which is really important for our author because it's kind of, you know, isolation is how he ends up. Horses are a big reoccurring motif in this story. Um, There's a whole part about horses jumping over a fence and kind of escaping this barn or, you know, this farm and, you know, that that metaphor for, like, escaping childhood kind of thing. Mm -hmm. There's, there's like, some, a lot of motif with, like, uh, horse idioms in the story. Um, Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I don't know if they use that one specifically. That was the first one I thought of. But, you know, horse idioms. Yeah. And spoiler alert. You can lead a horse to water. Yes, you can lead a horse to water. Don't you dare make him drink. drink. Don't beat that horse. Don't wait. (laughs) Don't beat that horse. Kiss the horse on the lips and between the ears. (laughs) No, what are you six? Mm. Don't beat a dead. It's all right. I'm beating a dead horse here, but (laughs) no, no, you're fine. I didn't mean to give you that look. I touched and I glared at Courtney. Leah doesn't want any physical touch right now. Oh, trust me, that's not true. Oh. We both have little ribbed shoes on. Oh, yeah. My, fuck, my life. <laughs> Leanne's headphone My headphone off. keeps sliding out. Have you, oh, have you not been waxing? I mean, yeah, I'm <laughs> not, not I, I'm trying to quit Q-tips. I'm proud of you. Thanks, it's been really difficult. <laughs> You're doing great. Spoiler alert, the penultimate chapter of the story involves a carousel featuring a horse that we would anticipate to look like the one on the cover. The horse's detail shows it's frill and fancy, and you can clearly see the metal pole plunge into the horse that allows it to move on the carousel. All this being said, it makes sense why Michael would illustrate such an image for the for the book. You know, it's not just is it the penultimate chapter, but it really kind of conveys the whole message of the book. That's a really important scene, and I'll talk about that hey, now. for horses. Sorry, hey. I just thought of another one. <laughs> You're right, Andrew. I love the sorry. <laughs> You're right. Historians who've studied Michael's work believe that this drawing also alludes to another piece of art, one with potentially darker themes. There's a sculpture called The End of the Trail by James Earl Fraser, which I would love for everyone to pull up if they can. If you look up The End of the Trail sculpture, I bet it will come up. Um, uh, no horse in this race. Sorry again. Is that something? <laughs> Do you have something there? Yeah, you've never heard, you've never heard someone say, I, ha- I have no horse in this race? Oh, yeah. They're I like, have. I don't have a horse in the race. Like, I have no, I have no cross to bear. <laughs> Me saying things that don't relate. The sculpture has 4.7 stars on Google. 
How is that possible? <laughs> like, I literally just look up the end of the trail and Can it's a I sculpture. By, like, I think the location itself has been raided. Oh, my God. Wait. <laughs> Should we go? This is crazy. This is not even the one. I didn't anticipate it to be the size, I guess, is maybe what's <laughs> happening to me. Is this the one? I, I've only seen it in this lighting. Where is it? There, I know that there's multiple editions that I'll talk about, but... Oh, wow. Oh, let's go see the bronze casting. This is all I saw, though, so imagine my surprise when you pulled it up. <laughs> imagine my surprise when it was a location on Google. <laughs> this looks like an artifact you put in your pocket. Exactly. <laughs> but there are multiple copies, like multiple renditions, so I'm guessing there's different sizes, or they were always that big, and I just don't know. Oh, this is plausible. This one's in Wisconsin. Well, we might not want to see it, but I'll talk uh-oh, about that. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, meet up in Wisconsin, Artfarts. <laughs> now. Book your flight. Artfarts assemble. Book your flight. All right, on my way. <laughs> so it's thought to believe, and that's redundant, it's believed that <laughs> this sculpture had an influence on Michael's sketch. In this sculpture, a Native American man is holding a spear that and is coming to the end of a trail and presumably met with the Pacific Ocean. The movement depicts the man and the horse facing with their back to the wind, ultimately pushing them toward the ocean, and it's hard to tell, but essentially they're on a cliff currently. And so it's kind of like the end of the trail, they're on a cliff, and the bottom is the Pacific Ocean, and the wind's kind of pushing them. Um, And the piece has been interpreted mainly in two ways. I don't know what the author, or excuse me, the artist intent was originally but the two big interpretations have been one the incoming of european immigrants and current satellite settler oh my god current settled colonizers um began a bloody and ruthless genocide against the native people of america and they took their land they caused famine and disease ultimately leading to the near extinction of these people So the end of the trail. And then the other view, which I don't even want to like talk about, but the other interpretation is essentially like the, the colonizers being like, we finally did it. It's the end of the trail. Like, like from a positive perspective, um, really gross and nasty, but either way, the piece is demonstrating this, this mass genocide. It's demonstrating a death and something coming to an end. The spear is very similar to the metal pole that's entering through the carousel ho- horse in the book cover, which is alluding to, like, impalement, similar to what a spear may do. On the carousel is where Holden finally accepts the end of his childhood and decides to enter adulthood. So really, when Holden's on that on that horse, it's kind of like the end of the trail for him and his childhood, yeah. ultimately allowing it to pass. Um And then the bright red, of course, is kind of that symbol of blood, symbol Mm -hmm. of death, and something dying. So definitely very purposeful. Apparently, it's not 100% certain how much JD had a hand in helping Michael make this cover, but they were very close otherwise. So, you know, JD was writing part of this book in Michael's house, and he would read early parts of it, but I don't know how much JD was like, oh, you should do a horse, and you should do it like this. Like, I think Mm -hmm. Michael had some free limitation to kind of make it how he wanted to. Um, But there was a letter found written to Michael from JD, and before I mention what was in the letter, I do want to say that that 
all good things come to an end. They did have a falling out in the 90s. Oh. They were friends from the 1920s to the 1990s. I don't know what they had a fight over, but they had a pretty big fight. They had a falling out. And Michael then donated all of the letters that he exchanged with JD to a museum. So we have everything that they've written to each other. <laughs> but that's kind of like putting... That's such a fucking crazy <laughs> move. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's... I'm guessing it's probably like... I don't know. I... I who am I to have a guess on what happened in their relationship? But my one thing is, like, he did become a recluse, you know, within, like, the from the 50s to 90s timeline, essentially. Maybe he just became a recluse and then just stopped contacting Michael and they just really had no contact. And he was like, are you going to be my friend or not? Like, are you, like... Fuck it, I'm donating all your letters to a museum. Like, it, almost like you're essentially dead anyway. Kind of thing. And it wasn't from a place of, I don't think, malintent, but more so, yeah. like, this guy's famous and he's going to go down in history. Here's some of his... Yeah, his, it's like, you're going to want these. You're going to want these. And he lived for, like, a while longer. Not Michael, but JD. Yeah. JD lived to, like, very old. Dang. Yeah. We were alive, I think, when he died. I'm pretty sure. Wow. Ma- yeah. So, but he wrote a letter to Michael that said... Thank God we had what we had, Mike. Talking about their their times as neighbors <sighs> from each other. I'm not going to be able to handle this. I loved it. Thank God we had what we had, Mike. I love it. I love it. So that's, um... Thank God they had what they had, Mike. Yes. That's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. Sorry, I had to chug no, some water. the sound of you chugging water in my ears is it really... It, like, was fine, and then it got, like, progressively more chuggy. <laughs> oh, chuggy. Oh. Oh, no, she's not good. Felt like I was having a heart attack for a slight second. I like when you wear those socks with those sweatpants because you look like <laughs> George Washington. Oh, that's not... I thought you were say like a basketball player. That's way worse. No, you look like a guy who'd be wearing a powdered wig. <laughs> and I am. <laughs> you rip off your hair and there's a powdered <laughs> wig under. I rip my hair out. Oh, me for real. <laughs> me right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Leanne actually trying to pull her hair out right now. Oh, girl, I've been pulling my sideburns out this whole time. Sideburns? You don't have sideburns. Precisely. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> precisely so funny. Oh, precisely. Oh, precisely. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see that what movie. What is going on over there? <laughs> What's precisely? Priscilla. Oh, oh. brother. <laughs> oh, brother. Oh, my gosh. Pris- pres- pres- Priscilla Presley. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> We need to go see that. We do. <laughs> I'm like, you have to answer now. Oh. We're girl on a podcast. You've got to speak. <laughs> we actually really do need to see that. Yes. Um... This is not the end of my tale right now. I don't know if anyone thought that this would be the end. And I didn't even believe for a second. I have more to say. I knew in my heart that there was another book cover that I thought was important to mention. It was not the first one that came to my mind, but it was the second one that came to my mind. So I'm going to call it the second most recognizable book cover of American history. This book had so many special edition covers, especially with the introduction of movie adaptations, but I think the original cover is still the most popular one. Still what we think of. Any guesses on book number two? Twilight Breaking Dawn. Not a single one. <laughs> I love that. I love Twilight. And the thing is, is I could really do a oh, bunch of these. yeah. I, I thought of so I many. I could recognize the Twilight cover. Yeah, Twilight cover you'd recognize. There's lore on the 
Harry Potter backgrounds, Harry Potter oh. covers. There's so many books that we oh, could do that yeah. are recognizable. Breaking Dawn is the puzzle piece. What the hell? Which one is the apple? That's the first That's one. That's the first one, Twilight? right? Twilight, yeah. Book cover. Wow, no, you're absolutely right. It would be the first one because that's where that scene happens. Because yeah. that's where they meet when he's kicking that apple into his little hands. Isn't that fun? Shit. Yeah. Should I get that tattooed? Anyway, sorry, I digress. <laughs> it's not Twilight. <laughs> it's not Twilight. I knew it. Anyone else? Anyone else? Oh, girl. Any, anyone else? Uh, anyone else? Anyone else? I want to get it. We're going to have to, like, redo high school or something. <laughs> I have the Outsiders in my room as we speak. Oh, that's a good one. I don't I don't think I'd recognize the Outsiders cover, though. I wouldn't, but I... Yeah. It's, like, in the same family. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's okay. I'm going to ask you both, no phones again, describe, without using Google Image Search, what you see when I say F. Scott Fitzgerald, Great Gatsby. Oh, shoot. It's like Shigo. I have no idea. Shigo? Like it's green like, and black? Am I wrong? <laughs> That's not what I, I see, I but think maybe. think of like yellow and blue and there's like a woman, right? <gasps> yes. Um, precisely. Precisely, Priscilla. Precisely, Priscilla. Um, I'm going to talk about the cover and then I'll show Leanne. This cover is potentially a rainy cityscape with blurred lighting as mm-hmm. if you're driving toward it in a rainstorm. The backdrop is a deep true blue, and there's a pair of discorporate eyes, eyebrows, and bright cherry lips that look straight toward the reader. If you look extra closely in the discorporate eyes, it's not pupils, but two naked women. Something that I do not Uh. think was caught by my teacher when we were younger, and I never clocked also. There's naked women on the cover of this book. (laughs) I would like to see it. (laughs) So this is The Great Gatsby. Oh, dang. Something is so wrong with me. Why did I think... Why was I thinking about Shigo? I don't know. <laughs> what book am I thinking of? Wow. Can you see kind of the naked women in the eyes? I can do a zoom in later, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. I guess I wasn't looking that closely at it. I was really mad when they assigned this book. I don't know why. I don't think I finished that book. I just really was, like, not wanting to read it. But I did. Did you like it? No. Oh. But I, I never liked a book that was being forced to me to read. Girl, Except like for Catcher in the Rye. That was the only book. But I think because we all related so to the angst so well of that book. I want to say same, but I was an English major, so I had I was I was made to read a lot of books, and some of them were okay. That's I don't it was just something I really am not good if people tell me to do something. I need to have my own volition. Except, I guess I am in a book club and I'm having fun, so I don't know. Um, Okay, so... We're women of variety. Yeah, I like a mix of things. Now, if you're not sure what The Great Gatsby is about, maybe just go watch the Baz Luhrmann movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) I copy and pasted a short summary (laughs) because I really couldn't put it in my own words, but um, Midwest native Nick... Caraway arrives in 1922 New York in search of the American dream. Nick, a would-be writer, moves in next door to millionaire Jay Gatsby and across the bay from his cousin Daisy and her philandering husband Tom. Thus, Nick becomes drawn into the captivating world of the wealthy and as he bears witness to their illusions and deceits, pens a tale of impossible love, dreams, and tragedy. Summer plans get drawn into the captivating world of the rich and wealthy. (laughs) Winter plans. Winter plans. 
Um, Sounds like Andrew's operating an ice machine. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Are you, sir? No. I don't believe him. You sound shocked that I'd even mention you. (laughs) Even mention ice machine. (laughs) Why would you talk about my ice machine? True, Leanne. Why would you talk about Hinter's ice machine in Go front back, of him? Go back. I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the uh, Google said it better than I could about that movie slash book. <laughs> F. Scott. Wait. I purposely <gasps> wrote his full name and I didn't want to. <laughs> oh. And I literally shortened it. Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald was born in 1896. <laughs> and yes, he was named after his distant cousin who wrote the Star Spangled Banner. F. Oh, Scott Oh, I was Key. wondering. Yes. I'm sp- Speechless. Glad you asked. <laughs> he was born in Minnesota to a Catholic family. And I have not much else to say about him because he was really just a regular guy. He really loved jazz music. I don't know if you guys knew this. He wrote no. he wrote pretty big books about jazz. Oh. He was a big jazz guy. And so he spent time in New York City before moving to who would have guessed it? Westport, Connecticut. What? <laughs> um, three people from today so far. Westport, Connecticut. Should we go? Should we go back? <laughs> should we go? <laughs> like, should we be there? It sounds like they're Andrew, really cranking your car things now. out. <laughs> he wrote several successful books before he wrote The Great Gatsby. And he actually wrote this magnum opus in Europe and settled in Rome afterward. Which is such an insane move of <laughs> making this American novel in Europe and then moving to Rome. I, I don't know. But a lot of his, like, he wasn't as wacky to me as um, JD's life was. Like, it was just like, oh, and he lived with his family and he did, he was, you know, wealthy. Like, he was, you know, he was doing good, whatever. I think his biggest thing is that he was an alcoholic for almost all of his life. And so he was always sick or like going through a really tumultuous time. He had a very erratic work schedule. Like he had really bad work ethic. He was always late to things. He was, you know, making these amazing books, but he wasn't a good author. Like he was Uh. a great writer. He wasn't good at being an author, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, and I thought it was interesting to mention that he actually became sober for a single year before he died. Stop. <laughs> he hit one what? year and he was dead. <laughs> did he die while sober or did he? Died sober. Oh my fuck. The alcohol was keeping him alive. Yeah. <laughs> That's. Dang. But I think it really was like he would. Oh, like, he fucked up. Go back. Like, <laughs> you know you fucked up. Go back. You made it this long. Yeah. Damn. Um, but that's F. Scott for you. It seemed, it really seemed like, you know, he was, his life was very similar to The Great Gatsby, it seemed like. Not in all the ways, but there was definitely parallels. Life really does imitate art. Yeah. The drinking, the partying, the riches, the traveling, like, you know, all that stuff. And he did, he had a wife who he loved and had married, but there was some, like, um, He was having also, he was like in love with the wrong girl at this time and, you know, all this stuff. Um, So let's talk about the cover. This cover was made by Francis Cougat, who was a painter and graphic designer born in Barcelona in 1893. I did realize that their first names are both Francis, and I was like, that's interesting. Cute. Um, He became known as a portrait painter while he was staying in France, but really he became famous for painting theater cards for opera personalities. Wow. And if you're confused what that is, like I was, I really had to look it up. It essentially is like the old-timey equivalent of a playbill. There would be like a picture of like everyone who was in the opera on a a 
ticket kind of thing. And it would yeah. be everyone's portrait. Um, but people loved the way he was painting these opera tickets. And his work caught the attention of several theaters worldwide. Even the Chicago Opera Association was like, called him up. Well, I guess not called him up. Maybe, maybe called him up, actually. Thinking about Alexander Graham Bell, I don't know. Oh my <laughs> Fuck that guy. Um, called called him up and we're like, hey, can you make our opera cards um, for our stars? We'd love to have your work. So he kind of got involved in like the American opera scene too. Then he started making set designs and he really loved it. So oh, he's he, a theater kid. He's a theater kid through and through. And this cover is kind of giving like theater Playbill theater kid. kid. Yeah, it's, it's giving theater kid. Wow. So he moved to New York City in the early 1920s before settling in Hollywood in 1925 to kind of pursue his passion for creating set designs. And there was a few movies that he made um, that were big at the time, none of which I recognize. There was one that was like Zorro, Doc, like Dr. HQ or something like that. I don't know. Um, there was a few. He He was helping out in the movie scene. But fun fact... And kind of unrelated, but this is very important for us to mention because everyone's going to freak out. He married Ruth Wadler Cougat, who was part of the family that founded the White Barn Theater in Norwalk, Connecticut. Cougat himself moved to Connecticut um, at the end of his life, and he died in Westport, Connecticut, which actually ties everyone I've mentioned today in my tale together in a very eerie way. Every single one of them. Like, not purposeful, not intentional on my part. I don't, they didn't live there always at the same times, but everyone lived in Westport, Connecticut. They all passed through. And they all passed on. mm Mm-hmm. Very weird. Um, Yes. I think this cover is a perfect fit for this story. I don't want to give away too many, like, spoilers from the book itself, but I will say that there's in a very... In case you're not in eighth grade yet. Yes, in case you're not in eighth grade. In case you were saving the details for the movie, <laughs> for Baz Luhrmann. Um, there's an important car scene at the end of the movie, um, and there are giant eyes that watch down on the city from the form of a billboard. So... Giant eyes, and then it does seem like you're in a car because it kind of has that blurry effect, like when the windshield has rain on it and you're going toward a city, so kind of feels like you're in a car. Now, I wish I had more of a tale for you, but the art itself behind the piece is kind of unknown. I'm going to have a bunch of just facts strung together that makes this very interesting. I'm, I was, like, very happy with the details that I found, actually. Kujat himself was not known for making book covers or illustrations, and this was the only one he had ever done. So he was making set designs, he was making opera portraits, he was not an illustrator in any way, he was a painter, he, this was all he's ever done in terms of book covers or desk covers. And F. Scott apparently paid Kujat $100 to do this design. And kind of, like, randomly. It didn't seem like they knew each other that well in a lot of ways. Like, they barely referred to each other by their names. I don't know. There was something kind of weird going on. The final piece was done in gouache paint, but Kujat completed several sketches when plotting out this design, some in pencil, some in, like, I think colored pencil and marker, and I'll show you some of those, which we can still find today. Another interesting fact is that we do know, and this is the craziest thing, this is my favorite part of this entire episode, the book, the dust cover, was completed before the book was finished. Okay? 
So, uh-huh. okay. listen to this. Um, it absolutely alludes to the fact that Kujat and Fitzgerald were well acquainted enough to talk about this unfinished book together. Yeah. Which at the time was actually titled Among the Ash Heaps and Millionaires. This is really impressive since the features of this cover allude to the end of the book in a way. Like, the, right? It alludes yeah. to the end of the book. So it really seems like Fitzgerald was like, hey, this is a book I'm writing. It's not done. I'm a drunk and uh, I have not finished it yet. Here's what's going to happen in the end. That's all the information I gave you. But it did not happen that way. Fitzgerald had not finished the book when he asked Kujat to paint it. And Kujat actually submitted the piece, and Fitzgerald loved it so much, he based the rest of the book on the painting. Whoa! Wait, that's sick. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah. Shit. And the reason why we know this is because Fitzgerald was really late in sending in the final draft of his manuscript for The Great Gatsby. And he wrote to his publisher about Kujat's work, For Christ's sake, don't give anyone that jacket you're saving for me. I've actually written it into the book now. <laughs> Oh, for Christ's sake, do not give anyone that jacket. Isn't that crazy? That's, I've written it into the book now. So he did not finish the book. That's and, awesome. Uh, it seems, it so much seems like, hey, we're going to talk about this. I don't think they talked nearly at all. And he sent him the painting and he was like, oh, I'm going to make this the book. So it seems like the billboard wasn't even a part of the book until... He saw this painting, and I don't even know. That's pretty crazy. I know. I love and, that. And I don't even know. I don't want to say what happens at the end, but maybe I'll have Evan bleep this part out. Or just if you're if you don't want to know what happens in the end, skip for maybe like a minute. Skip for a minute, yeah. Skip for thirty seconds. When they die in the car crash at the end, that was also not anticipated. <coughs> Which is like the whole book. Yeah. Um. So that's really crazy. So. I was mentioning before how the book had a different title and there were different sketches. So I want to show you these sketches because they are gorgeous. And I like you can really tell that um, Kujat, oh. I don't think, had any... He didn't know what to go off of, I'm pretty sure, yeah. in this way where he was just drawing stuff, which is really crazy, too, to think about. it. Definitely, I think, a cityscape of New York. Yeah. And then when he originally heard the title of... It was... What did I say it was called? Um... Among the Ash Heaps and Millionaires. Oh, yes, exactly. His first original sketch was this picture of a little town, and there was ash coming from a train, potentially. Yeah. Or, like, smoke, I guess. Um, totally different vibe than The Great Gatsby, so I'm glad that they didn't go with Could that. Could you imagine how that would have changed the book? I know. That's what I'm like, <laughs> if they chose that picture, the whole story would have been different, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. So... That's what I have to say today about about these books, about these wonderful book covers. Um, I had so much fun looking into this, and I have a lot of other books in my brain, so if I ever come back to this, there I have more content I can talk about. This has about. part two potential. It does have part two potential. Um, but I did want to end today with a little, a little bit or bob, as you said. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Now, we're very keen on artist versus fartist here in this family, which is essentially a game that we, we establish a portmanteau, which is kind of a one word leading to another game. So something like um, you have breakfast and lunch at the same time, it's brunch. But the way it works is that we have an visual artist leading into a musical artist or a musical artist leading into a visual artist, and their names connect. 
But today I am bringing us artists versus farthers, which is artists <sighs> versus fart authors, of course. Oh, this is my son, Farther. These, I, these might <laughs> <laughs> It's really always the stupidest thing that gets them. It's true. Farther. <laughs> Go farther, farther to get her. Go farther to get her. It was hard. It was hard to do. You got it. Um, these might be stupid and bad, but I'm going to have fun. <laughs> oh, that's okay, trying my best. Okay, what Oh! We might be stupid and fun, but we're going to have fun, though. Wait. But, let's suffer. <laughs> okay. He was an old man at sea that led the American pop art movement. She was a skater boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that got me. So it's artist into art. art, art, art whoa. <laughs> whoa. Artist into author. <laughs> I thought you were going to throw up. Courtney, I felt like I was going to throw up. Or it's author into into artists depending on the order. Okay, will you run that back for me? The he sentence. Was, he was an old man at sea that led the American pop art movement. Sorry, I thought you had magical powers for a second. <laughs> that's that's Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol, yes, the second is the artist. I'm not gonna get the first one. I don't know authors. Wait, so run me run me that back one more time. He was an old man at sea that led the American pop art movement. Oh, okay. Who's an old man at sea? Um, my baby's a sailboat captain at sea. True. I'm like kind of... <laughs> Andrew was, was literally just talking about this author with me the other day, and I made a joke about the old man in the sea, so I am a little okay. offended, I will say. Is that his book? Yeah. Okay. I was like, it's gonna who? be like their art in their art kind of thing. So similar to all the okay, other ones. Okay. Okay. Wait. Uh, it, it, I don't get. I don't get the combination though. Is it Ernest Hemingway? Yeah. Ernest Hemingway, Wendy Warhol. Yeah. Wendy. <laughs> I know this one was a stretch, but you got it. This one's a little bit more on the nose, if that helps. But I kind of want to do... No, no, I'll do this one next. Gothic fiction author famous for love of ravens depicts cattle, skulls, and flowers that are awfully yonic. This might um, be my best work yet, actually. Georgia O'Keefe? Yes, but just last name. Okay, O'Keefe. Edgar Allan Poe Keefe. Yes. Whoa. Edgar Allan Poe Keefe. Oh my gosh, this is my son Poe Keefe. <laughs> I loved this one. That's kind of cute. Gothic fiction author famous for love of ravens depicts cattle skulls and flowers that are awfully yonic. That's like such a fun thing to say. Oh, that's me describing my son Poe Keefe. <laughs> this one also goes together. <laughs> Poe Keefe is awfully yonic. <laughs> Poe Keefe just creates Yonic art and you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't get it. This one fits together perfectly, but it is a little trickier. And I did this thing where I, I'll tell you it's author into artist, okay. but I did kind of mix the the words so it, you can't tell which one goes into which. You'll uh. see. Hunchback of Notre Dame devours his son who stars in Les Miserables. Goya? Goya is the artist, and now you need the author. The author that wrote Hunchback of it. Notre Dame and Les Miserables. Frick. No chance. None. 
None. Wait. Not a, not a shot. Wait, they wrote Les Mis and who? The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to conjure this one up. It really, it fits together so perfect. Wait. Who was the artist? Goya. Okay, Goya. And it's, is that the second one? Yeah. Guh. Squidward when he uh swallowed that fork. When he squids. Squidward when he squids. No, I don't know. It's Victor Hugo. Ah! Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo. Thanks, everybody. I brought three today. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Pokeef. Love you, Pokeef. We love um, you, Pokeef. <laughs> Pokeef, please, we love you. Come home. Love you, Pokeef. Pokeef and Farther. Pokeef and Farther and their twins. <laughs> My twins, Pokeef and Farther. That's crazy. Uh, well, that's my episode. Thank very you, good Courtney. episode, that Courtney. Was really good. Uh, Thanks, everybody. Uh, okay, what's been writing your book? Ooh. <laughs> okay, unwritten by Natasha Benningfield. Oh, staring Whoa. at the blank page before you. <laughs> staring at, at the, the blank, blank page before you. Open up the dirty window. You let me open that window by myself. Lynn, what's been writing your book? I rewatched Theater Camp this week, and that was pretty pretty good the second time around. Nothing will beat the first time we saw that movie, and I was holding back. I was fighting not to laugh out loud like screaming in the theater it was i don't know why that was the funniest thing i'd ever seen um what else oh i started watching what's it called only murders in the building and i really didn't think it was going to be like this like I, like show. selena's little like mystery of her life i had no idea I think it's going to be fun. I'm kind of hooked. You're in your TV show era. I'm in my TV show era. I finally got the family uh, Hulu login, so I'm online. I'm watching them on my laptop. I, oh, touch-a, 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 touch me, Rocky Horror. I've not seen Rocky <laughs> Horror, to my knowledge. I think she has seen Rocky Horror, everybody. <laughs> everybody. 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 Oh. Anyway, that's really colored my week for some reason. So much so that I made a playlist of, I think I would just call this like theater music. Waving through a window, Michael in the bathroom. <laughs> You're joking. Defying gravity by the Glee cast. You would, you would maybe call it theater music, girl. So that's, it's theater music. Yes. We also have, going back to the, the Hairspray soundtrack, Without Love, Good Morning Baltimore, and You Can't Stop the Beat. So good, I could scream. You're good morning, Baldy. He- What'd you say? Good morning, Baldy. Good morning, Bald. <laughs> good morning, Bald. Good mo- <laughs> Wait, that's really funny. Good morning, Bald. You should be someone from Hairspray for Halloween next year. Courtney, that's crazy because I literally was thinking about dressing up as John Travolta uh, in Hairspray mm-hmm. yesterday. You should do it. Like, I was like, how do I order this wig? What do I do? Not Easy. for Halloween, though. Like, you're going to come home and... I- Tracy Turnblad! 
But yeah, that's really and <laughs> some nights by the band Fun is the first song on this playlist. That's you have really to listen to that to hype yourself up. Then you kick it off and oh, something's in my pocket. What's in your pocket? And I'm then sorry. you lead into the rest of those. It's funny because I don't have feeling in most of this leg, so <laughs> all of a sudden something sharp touched me because I moved in such a way. There's like a nut. Oh wow! <laughs> it's a um clothespin. That was pretty shocking. Um yeah. <laughs> Defying Gravity by the Glee cast. I, if anyone wants to go sit in my car with me later while I sing my rendition, you're welcome Today? to. Maybe tomorrow. It's kind of dark right now. <laughs> I'm like, that's so scary. You ever sat in your car? We'll, we'll offline about this. It's dark? Yeah. I love sitting in my car when it's dark out. I'm the only bitch out there. That's No, that's so scary to me. That's fair. Andrew, does that scare you or not scare you? Well, he's, a, bit, really. he's a man. He's a tall man. I'm a man. Oh. I'm a tall man. Don't you dare call yourself that. Are you or are you a I'm Muppet? A, I'm a tall glass of I'm a tall glass of chocolate milk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna be able to come back from that. I will give you gas. <laughs> what? Oh <laughs> I thought you loved that so much you were like offering to buy him gas. <laughs> I'll take it. I will key your car. I will give you gas. Oh my god, I will give you money. You and your ex-boyfriends. Babe, can you Venmo me five dollars? I need gas. (laughs) Yeah, I'm at my fucking wits end. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. That's so funny. Courtney, what's been re- oh. me after getting my book read? What's been reading your book? Writing, writing. What's been writing your book? <laughs> I will give you gas. Um Oh no. Oh my god, I'm um, sick. I I've been listening to Mina Lee's podcasts a Ugh. lot recently i really just want uh her to make a bunch of copies of herself because i need more i really do need more i want more youtube videos i want a video essay artist who does what she does and but with other topics she's so good she's talking about being on jstor and i'm like this girl is researching she's putting in hours i love the way that she researches i love the uh, this is i was telling andrew about this i love a video essay that's not just like bare bones like about the topic i love when it's an interesting she's choosing interesting topics she's talking like her most recent video was about how sweaters have changed from like the you know from when sweaters were first made to now like Like they're so much shittier yeah and like the history of that and that's like you know, it's a topic right now that people are talking about because that picture, but I think, I'm like, that's so interesting. It's not like, oh, let's just talk about the history of sweaters. It's like, let's analyze all these famous sweaters. Like, she really hones in. Like, she has a very focused topic. Yes, and I love it. Um, oh, so, she's so good. She, her. Her. The podcast is highbrow, if you. Yes. Um, and the newest episode is So No One Wants to Read Anymore. I listened to that today. It's so good. Um, And then... I don't know. Maybe just like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna say it. I'll say it. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna. My what's been writing my book is 
clean your room and then put on a nice candle and set the mood lighting to be in such a way that it's almost hard to see in there. It really, it's been hitting hard. I think with the time change and everything. Oh my God. It's because it's so dark. I'm working. It is pitch black outside. And I'm like, oh my God, I should be in bed. I should be in bed. It's really, it's not, it's not sitting well with me. It's awful. Um, But yeah, just if you make your room really cozy. I like, there was, I always have a big to-do list, but I finally did a bunch of things on it. And even though there's, it's always, of course, a to-do list is always ever expanding. But I'm like, now at least I can put my heater on because I cleaned out the heater. Like, you know, it's like, you just, you change a few things. Anyways. Oh, I should um, be putting my heater on. Oh, girl, get your heater on. Girl, I have, I have four blankets on top of me. Uh, true. You don't put your heater on. No, I might. I might, and then I could probably use less blankies. I'm like, I was pretty warm, but I realized I do have another uh, animal living in my room with me, and he, he needs might that. be a little cold. So, um, his little ears. Not his ears. His ears get so cold. Oh. There's not enough fur. Oh. oh. You get him ear warmers. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so cute. I'd freak out. He could have an get ear warmer. Get him a hat. Oh my god, little baklava. Wait, what's it called? Balak- balaclava. Oh my god. A little baklava for <laughs> a little him. baklava for him. Andrew, what's been writing your story? What's been writing your book? Um, Still just playing Persona 5. Great game. Um, I started reading this book uh, that I've been meaning to read for a very long time called If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. Oh my god, the one that you talked about in Art Farts? Uh, did I talk about it? I don't know, why is it sound freaking familiar? Hello? Why does it sound freaking familiar? Why does that sound freaking familiar? I must have, I might have talked about it on the meta episode, because it's a very meta book. It is a book about, well, it's written in the second person, so it's about you. Yeah. And it's about you... Reading a book. Reading a book. Yes, you called, have mentioned this. Yeah. It's about you reading a book called If on a Winter's Night, A Traveler. Um, and about, it's just about the things that happen when you, like, so the book is describing what's in the book. It's very, it's very strange. I but, don't think. Um, I'm quite enjoying it. I don't think you talked about that in a meta episode. I think you've talked about that author at some point. Maybe. 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 I don't know. Couldn't say. Um, there's one other thing. Oh, yeah. I've been listening to Coin Locker Kid. Mm. Uh, check out Coin Locker Kid if you like oh. strange, <laughs> abstract, <laughs> hip-hop, pop, or, or radio drama. Um, yeah. Is that you, yeah. Courtney? I thought that was Andrew. Oh, my God. Courtney started playing time. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm actually, Courtney started blasting the talking heads. It was an accident. What the heck? And I, was, and I thought it was you playing the music, and I was like, wow. But it was Courtney. <laughs> but you can only, we can only hear it in our headphones, which is, I was like, Andrew really powered through that. You couldn't hear it. Courtney, please. <laughs> I wish they could hear it. 
Sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Wait, did you have more? What, did you have more before no, I that's started? It. Co- I was gonna say maybe. <laughs> uh, sorry, Talking Heads was was from when I was looking at the podcast. <laughs> oh my god! Sorry, the headphones just made the gonna die noise. It's my phone that's gonna die though. Oh crap! I charged the headphones before we started. I charged the heck out of that. <laughs> I <charged> the- <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I'm not. I d- I've been I've it. been making sure I charge the headphones so much because of that one time Andrew roasted me. <laughs> <laughs> it really only takes one time for for someone. And I'm like, I guess that is like, at the end of the day, good good thing he roasted me because now they'll never die. <laughs> Sometimes it makes you better. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Um. <laughs> um. Guys, guys. Um. Did I miss the the latest episode of Muppets Basketball? Yeah, you did. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I hit the crickets. Imagine if you farted into crickets. Oh my god! Imagine if you fought it out of cricket. <laughs> <laughs> um. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.